Stop. It never rains at Austin Stadium. Hey, welcome back to the It Never Rains podcast. Tyson Alger here with Aaron Fentress, and we are joined by Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network. He had a very busy week last week uh, doing uh, multiple Zoom conferences with uh, the Pac-12 coaches. And uh, uh, Yogi, I'm going to be honest, at first when I saw that it was going to be like a 15-minute moderated period followed by 15-minute questions, the journalist in me was like, oh, why don't we get 30 minutes of questions here? But then I started watching it and like, you had such some fun, absolutely fun moments in that thing. And like, especially like, I, I really enjoyed your one with like Chip Kelly and, and, and when he brought out Herm Edwards book uh, and just, uh, hey, how, how was that preparing for that thing, man? Like that, that seemed like a lot of work, but obviously, obviously during this time, I imagine uh, it was nice seeing some people. It was awesome. And, and thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of everything you guys do. Uh, I really appreciate kind of what you're doing and, and how you do it. And uh often listen to it during the fall specifically. Uh, but regarding last week, it, it was awesome. You know, we had talked about this idea, you know, the last, really since the kind of pandemic got going and you felt like spring ball was going to get canceled. You know, what's the way to communicate and connect with the coaches, you know, and to, to help them share their voice. And Dave Hirsch, he uh, called me and said, Hey, what, what do you think of this idea? We bounced it around. Hey, what coaches would be great together? And then of course, what would fit with their schedules? And it all just netted out beautifully, I thought, and gave a theme to every day, even though the big picture theme was COVID-19 and how does your team deal with it. But in preparation for it, I had a blast because I called someone, at least one, maybe two people on every staff or athletic department and just kind of got their feel. I didn't want to call the head coach. I didn't want to talk to him first. I wanted just to you know, talk to somebody that, that's around them that knows what's going on with the program. And everybody's so different, right? Like Utah. And schools in Arizona, like they might be able to come back relatively soon. California's, Washington schools, like then in Pullman, like they had 19 cases in Whitman County at the time. Like it, it was so unique talking to different people and feeling different anxieties or different opinions and then trying to put it together to offer up, not softballs, but offer up conversational questions and get three alpha males communicating versus just being robotic and answering to me. So it was, it was one of the more challenging things I'd done in my career, but definitely one of the most joyful that I've been a part of. Yeah, as somebody who was just watching it, I, I found it fascinating just watching those interactions between the coaches, especially, you know, like like you said, you were trying to figure out which coaches would match well with each other. And uh, um, yeah, and, and especially like when you guys brought on like Rolovich, <laughs> and, you know, he's got the cougar in the background and, and the bucket hat. Uh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, those guys... Uh... He's awesome. I've known Coach Rolo since he was the OC at Hawaii. And that's what's fun. Like when you've, you've been in it for a while, this is my, I think it's my 20th year in major college football. So you've got all these relationships, got to know guys in a bunch of different ways, and then they become a head coach or then they win a championship or whatever it is. So to me, it, it was a real fun dance to prepare for and to give these coaches credit. And if you tuned in early, I don't know when you signed up, but if you came in, 10 minutes before the top of the hour, you got to see some amazing banter from these coaches that was, you know, in air quotes off the record. I know some of it leaked out, um, which is unfortunate because that wasn't part of the deal, but you kind of expect it going in. But it was fun just to hear guys talk, right? And it was fun to see Coach Cristobal with like, I do the move. I, I move with my left arm, like the kids away. Like you can tell when his kids were close, um, everybody's scenario is different. And, and I also think it humanized them in, in a really cool way. And, 
it, it didn't replace Media Day, and a lot of people think it did, but it didn't. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, when we get to Media Day, we'll have some some sort of maybe an element like this because this was really successful. Who is the coach that surprised you the most in terms of their personality? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, our network, the beautiful thing about it is that you get to know guys on a different level. You know, you've got great trust with them and they've got great trust with you. And you know, I've been at it for a while. So I don't know. These so they, answers, they're all pretty Coach much status quo for you. You know, of Coach Kelly, yeah, yeah. You know, I think Chip always surprises people because he doesn't do a lot of media. And then when he goes, you're like, "Whoa, that was awesome!" And you know, you guys, if you cover him at Oregon, it's a little different than it is now. You know, that was over a decade ago. So that'd probably be the easy answer. But I've known Chip for so long that I'm just so happy that they are themselves. And I probably would flip it and be like, "I'm so thankful that they didn't turn on the air quote head coach hat on." You know, they remain. And I think that's the fun part of this conference is. We don't have guys that think they're bigger than the game. You know, we don't have guys walking around and, you know, needing, you know, an entourage around them. Like these guys can all operate as individuals and humans. And I think that was a, a big part of what we got to see. So I want to, I want to get into, um, you know, more about the expected upcoming season and, and what, you know, maybe you were hoping to see during spring ball, which didn't happen. But, uh, you know, like, I think right now, just want to ask, like, what have you been doing other than this in quarantine? You know, I, I saw, um, I saw some homeschool teach science experiments on your YouTube page. I mean, I mean, what's, what's life been like right now for you? It's been crazy. Like everybody else. I mean, I, I think you always have to kind of get real first and like, thankfully nobody's been sick in our families. Um, immediate or extended, but we just moved. So that's kept us busy. You know, we got a baby coming soon. So that's kept us focused. Um, and, you know, you just got on boxes and boxes to unpack. And then Pac-12, I've been busy. You know, we've got a new podcast, the Pac-12 Perspective, that's five days a week. Um, I'm doing a lot of cool stories and interviews uh, with coaches, as, as you referenced, um, or players. So I'm, I'm staying active, man. Um, I'm trying to, you know, trying to work out as much as I can at the same time. But overall, uh, just just trying to be okay with everything that's going on. And, and what Chip Kelly said last week really struck a chord with me, where he said, you know what, Don Pelham called me and said, hey, I'm checking in on you. And Chip said, I think he said, he, he texted him back, and was like, hey, I'm good, don't worry. And he goes, no, call me. We need to talk. And, and for somebody who I, I will always, like I'll call up Mike Yam or Ashley, and I'll check in on Ted Robinson but I'm not good checking in on me at all. It's a major issue that I got to continue to work through. So that struck me. And I took Thursday night off after we finished the final of the four webinars. And I was like, I need to just like turn my phone off, go for a run, chicken in myself and not try to be a hero. And, and, and I credit and I called Chip afterwards and I said, thanks. You know, that was, that was a catalytic moment for me. And, and I hope it was for somebody else. So as, as a former football player yourself, what do you think the players are, are missing most beyond the obvious not having a, a spring ball and really not having much summer workouts? I mean, aside from not being in shape necessarily or not questioning every, every you know, piece of the playbook, what are, they, what are they missing out on? Well, I think that it was over long enough to know is you missed the fellas. You know, the greatest part of off-season workouts is not necessarily the workout. Right? That, that's amazing. You get in the best shape of your life and you put on the 10 pounds you wanted to and you take off body fat and you get connection with your receivers and your quarterback and you get confidence about yourself and you finish a summer course, like all the things that happen at this time traditionally. But you also, and I have great memories of this, you also like sit on the floor in the locker room after a workout and don't rush to take a shower 
and you just hang out and you get to know like a senior if you're a freshman or an upperclassman gets to know somebody younger and you get to know their stories and their backgrounds and their heartaches. And, and it's forced me, I've called a teammate from Pitt almost every week, 15 years, you know? So th- those are the things I think guys miss the most um, because let's be honest for a lot of players, college environments are better for them in terms of health and wellness, obviously fitness education is a no brainer, but also for the environment, right? Maybe where they live, you know, so you take away a lot of those things. And the one thing that probably got you through your hardest times in college was talking to a teammate and you don't have that in person anymore. So I think that's, that's what guys are going to miss. I think you're going to see the, some of the tightest teams when we go play again. I think guys are going to be so connected because they're not going to be able to waste a moment, right? It's not just going to be, oh, it's a, this is another Friday workout. Oh, this is a Thursday throwing session. Like, no, they're going to know that every rep matters. And, and I think we're going to find some really connected and competitive teams this fall. You know, it's it's funny talking about, um, you know, how well they're going to connect when they when they reunite, because here we are, we're doing a, a Zoom call on, on this podcast and everyone's been doing Zoom calls. And um, it's 419 on Tuesday in May. And I just figured out how to focus my camera. So uh, this is definitely not the uh, there we go. Like, exactly like the real thing we, <laughs> we, we have going on here. Um, the, 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 the one thing I wanted to talk about, too, is, um, you know, Aaron kind of asked a little bit about spring practice, and I guess we can kind of get into a little bit more of like a macro on the Pac-12 level. But uh, the two things I wanted to bring up, there's a couple new coaches in the conference that you have to like as, as somebody who, rep- you know, represents the Pac-12 and, and goes to uh, all these campuses, you have to have relationships with these guys. So like at this part of the year, usually when there's a couple new coaches, like how do you kind of build that rapport? And then how has this affected how you've been able to do that? Because, you know, if you watch the things last week, um, you know, it seems pretty smooth for you. And, and as we all know, it kind of takes time to build those relationships and, and, and so forth. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for saying that. I, I, I hope everybody else took it that way. I was trying. Uh, but I, I think a lot of it is spring ball for me. You know, when a new hire gets made, I, try to go out there the first week of their spring practice, you know, whether that was Willie Taggart back in the day in your region, I flew up and I was like, I got to just say hi. I didn't have any reporting to do. I didn't have anything to do. I just wanted to get to know them. And I think that's a really important part of, of our business. Um, it's just getting to know guys and getting to know GAs, getting to know head coaches, getting to know SIDs, ADs, um, and everybody in, in between. So this one was challenging, um, especially at Colorado, just because I didn't know Carl Durrell. Like I was on the SC staff and he was there. But the, the minute he got hired, I texted Josh Rosen and, and uh, Patrick Laird. And I was like, hey, tell me about this guy. Like, what's, what's he like? And they raved about him. So I knew from, from jump, like, oh, it's going to be no problem. Like he's going to be great. And then you talk to the people of Colorado. They raved about him. And, you know, we, we did an interview with him on Sirius XM uh, and, and the Pac-12 Networks right after he got hired just to – get to know him a little bit. So you could tell right off the bat that he was going to be easy to talk to. And somebody who's had the experiences that he's had, it, uh, it, it made it really easy. So I, I think that one was one that like, if I, you know, you wished you didn't, you know, that this didn't happen as so you get right. to know him, but I really go to the coordinators. Like I haven't been to Washington, you know, I want to go there to talk to their offensive coordinator. Now, thankfully I played for Paul Rhodes at Arizona, but you can go around this conference. There's a lot of coordinators that have been replaced. And that's to me as an analyst, like that's where you really get the good stuff and you really learn the game and the craft. So that's, that's been hard. I've talked to a couple, you know, I sat in on a meeting in Arizona state with Zach Hill 
um, that they'll air on Thursday night on the old networks. Uh, so I got to really be a part of their offense and listen to him teach. So, so that was a way to kind of get to know him. But I'm, I'm trying to be as creative as I can, man. Uh, do, do you think there's going to be football this fall? Cut to the chase. I do. I think football is going to start. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's going to start on time. Um, and I don't know if it's going to finish and I don't know what's going to happen, you know, as, as it gets going, but I think it's going to be an amazing year when you look at the history of this craft. I mean, last year we were celebrating, was it 150 years in college football, you know, in 10 years, we're going to have the last dance documentary about, you know, COVID-19 and college athletics. I mean, there's just so much meat on that bone. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of unknowns. I think if everybody who tries to make absolutes, whether it's, well, the SEC is going to do it and the Pac-12 is not, like that is the biggest crock in my opinion <laughs> because it's based in nothing, right? Everybody I've talked to from the commissioner on down, everybody's trying to play. And that's, and, and oh, by the way, they're learning from people at UCLA and USC and UW and Stanford and all these medical institutions that are the premier medical institutions in the country about this. So I think if anything, the Pac-12 is leading a charge in that regard. Even though narrative may not suggest that currently, uh, but to answer your question, I think football will start. Um, I hope it completes and I hope that it, it alters as the year goes on. I hope the playoff alters as the year goes on if they don't do it before the year. So you're not, so you're not buying that the Pac-12 is not going to play the SEC is and like flying bomb said, all these great players from the Pac-12 are going to transfer to the SEC. You're not, you're not buying that. I'm assuming you not heard only am say I, that. <laughs> not only am I not buying that. So he, this is what he said. He said, uh, it's hard to imagine the Pac-12 being relevant in this scenario, right? right? To me, like what isn't relevant is any discussion about having athletes play if it's deemed unsafe. Right. Like, like that's not relevant. Taking guidance from medical experts at Stanford, Washington, UCLA, like I referenced, that's an advantage for the Pac-12. I don't know where he's getting his information. Um, and, and clearly this is his world in terms of, you know, making, you know, opinions and stirring it up a little bit. Um, and that's fine. Like that, that, that may be his game. I don't know. I've never met him, but it, it's, it's not good for the craft. And, and here's where I net out on that. Like whether it's you two or whether it's me or whether it's Kirk Herbstreit or Paul Feinbaum, like we've been given the opportunity to have a microphone in front of us. We've got to respect the craft. And I think when all of a sudden you're setting off firestorms all across the country during something as serious as this, like this isn't like him saying the country doesn't want to see Utah play, which was ignorant and ridiculous in and of itself. But I, I could expect that. But when it comes to this, uh, for somebody who's been around as long as he has, I don't know. I listened to that interview this morning and I just said, man, like relevant. Like what's not relevant is having athletes play if it's, if it's not safe. Right. It's it, like – that stuff's just all crazy to me because, like, I feel, I feel like the the people that when those discussions start happening, the people that get left in the dust is the actual athletes because they're the ones that are going to have to play in those conditions. They're the ones that are, you know, it's all of us. If, if it's one of those scenarios where it's going to be athletes and, and no fans, like all of us are going to be sitting on our butts at home and it's going to be nice and safe there. Like, I. I think college athletics is incredibly tricky just because, you know, as we all know, they're, they're students, they're not professionals, they're not getting paid for this sort of thing. And so, I mean, I, I, I per, like, I, I want football as much as anybody else's fall, but, but like you said, like, the, I, I think absolutely everything has to be laid down for them to be healthy and, and to be in a safe environment before you start getting into like conferences you know, arguing with each other about like, who's going to be relevant or whatnot. Like, <laughs> like, but let, let, let's have the big picture idea here, folks. <laughs> Oh, dude, it's crazy. I mean, think about it. We should be making the same argument. I mean, if we're, if we're realistic about this, like 
nobody's going to play if it's unsafe. Let's just be straight up. And if you're the president at Alabama or Clemson or Florida State or Ohio State or somewhere on the West Coast, like you're just not going to do it. You're not going to do it if it's unsafe. Like it's not worth the risk. Um, at least I'd like to think that. Number one. Number two. If it is suitably unsafe, but you're still going to play, is it safe for your coaches? Right? Is it safe for Mac Brown? Is it safe for Nick Saban? Is it safe, safe for Phil Knight? <laughs> Phil Knight? Right? Is it safe for Herm Edwards? Like, is it is it safe for for the referees? Is it safe for the recruits that are on the field? Is it safe for Grandma who comes to the game? You know, like, there's a lot of layers of this thing that. I think get wiped away with big headlines on get up or whatever the platform is that are fair to talk about. Cause what else do we have to do right now? But they're not all responsible. And that to me is where I have a big issue because who has to deal with it. And this is the thing that a lot of people who have a voice, I think fail to remember is that the coaches have to deal with it. When they, that's why I asked almost every coach last week, how are you talking to parents and players? Not, do you think we're going to play? They don't have an answer. Right. It's fluid. Everybody's going to say the same thing. But how are you talking to the people that read the tweet that went viral from Paul Feinbaum or whatever? Like that, that's to me the thing that is not wise. Like we're creating you know, chaos amid a pandemic among people that are like, should my kid go back and play? And right. just because I watch Paul Feinbaum, he's setting my opinion. Like that's not right. And, and I think that's fair to call out. And, and I clearly have no problem doing that. I asked a parent actually recently if he would sign a waiver, right? That he wouldn't sue if his kid got COVID playing football. And he said, F no. <laughs> right. So that told me that parents are going to be like, okay, you're trying to get my kid out there to play for free. I mean, yes, he's on a scholarship, but it's for free because there's huge TV money involved and the universities are starving to get this money. What, you know, how do I know you're not going to err on the side of cash as opposed to the side of health and take care of my kid? And that's going to be a huge factor as well. Our parents are going to sign off on this. Really well said. And, uh, and I'd agree as a parent, right? Like I wouldn't sign off on that right now. You know, like there's, there's no way, you know, and, and I think, and, and that's the point, like a lot of coaches in the PAC 12 who, again, I think have, great perspective on planet earth, which is where we're all operating right now. And they're like, if it's not safe for students, why is it safe for our guys? Like, like let's not like put people in different buckets, right? They're, I always tell this to athletes. And when I talk to them in the fall, it's like, you take your helmet off and you're a human being. That's what we try to do as broadcasters and storytellers like, like yourselves. You're, you don't just put your armor on and you're like a thing. You're not just a Jersey number. Like you got a heartbeat. You have a family. Like, I think it was Renard Bell at Washington State. He went home to see his family. Everybody got it. You know, everybody got it. Like, this, this, does it not matter that his grandmother got it? You know, like, so I, I just think there's a lot to, to talk about. And, and I think everybody is. Like, I don't think that people at the top of this thing are being, you know, non-empathetic. Like, I, I don't think that at all. I just think that, you know, when I heard, again, like a quote out of context to a degree, was it West Virginia was the chancellor, the president. He was like, like we're playing even if I have to suit up. And that was the headline. <laughs> and then you read the article and he was like, he said it in jest, but that wasn't part of the tweet. You know? Like, so I, I just think that we're, we're so hot button as a society now that, that we got to be responsible because you're right. The kids aren't going to want to play. And then the notion of kids are going to leave a conference. You're out of your freaking mind. If you think a kid's going to leave the PAC 12 
to go across the country, knowing the pandemic may come back and be stuck in that part of the world. Like they, that ain't happening. It's just not going to, like I've talked to enough athletes to know that the majority of them are, are, are not down with that. So a lot of theories being tossed out and you know, the one thing I think continues to get overlooked, which is let's just make sure we have a plan. And, and then we go from there. So, so essentially what you're saying is we should anticipate for the next like three or four years of the Pac-12 to have some spectacular quarterback play if everyone's just staying out here on the West Coast. I mean, actually, if, if, if you look at this upcoming season, it's, it's pretty darn good as it is. Um, you know, I, th- I think we want to bring a little bit of optimism to this thing. So let's, let's actually talk about like what do you want to watch this season and, and what were some of the storylines um, over that you wanted to check in on spring? I mean, obviously here at Oregon um, you have a pretty big one with uh, offensive line completely graduating and, and Tyler Shuck uh, uh, battling out to replace uh, Justin Herbert. I mean, what, what did you want to know, learn about Oregon this spring and, and what excites, excites you there? Well, I'll say this on your first question around uh, recruiting and quarterbacks. Yes. Guys are going to stay and they're going to stay for two reasons. One, it's coronavirus. I think it's you're seeing it in recruiting a little bit now. And two, uh, name, image, likeness. You know, you grow up on the West Coast. You built a platform for yourself. You're not going to go run into a place that nobody knows you, or you might get buried on the Jeb chart. Like I just, I just think it's going to benefit the conference dramatically, um, and it's already a big part of a lot of recruiting pitches. You know, from talking to coaches regarding Oregon, it's exactly what you referenced. It was, it was, it was Tyler, and probably even bigger than that, it was how does this team recapture their competitive edge? And, and I asked Mario, Coach Crystal, that exact question, you know, because that, that's the challenge. We used to say that at SC spring ball is about recapturing our competitive edge, period. It's not about anything else. It's not about winning a Rose bowl. It's not about winning a Natty. It's not about anything else other than being the most competitive person and the perf- most competitive position group and the most competitive team. And from everyone I talked to, and, and I don't know if you'd agree, I don't know if you were at practice or not, but who was at any practices, they said they were some of the most competitive practices in recent history in Oregon. So that was number one, like, okay, now they got dudes, like they've recruited well, like how, com- how really competitive is it? What's the culture like? And, you know, they're, they, they've earned it. Like they're the, they're the Pac-12's team. So I wanted to see that. And, and then Tyler, you know, and I probably would have wanted to see, um, can I, I can't remember the exact date, but when, uh, you know, when they got a grad transfer quarterback, would have wanted to, you know, obviously see him a little bit. Right. Um, and, and just, just so, from, from when you've been able to, uh, you know, see Tyler over those years, uh, you have a pretty good eye for these things. I mean, just what, what do you see in Tyler Shuck? I mean, obviously this is way early, small sample size and all that, but I mean, you know, you, you can tell. <laughs> He's, I love him. I'm a huge fan. You know, Mike Yan would tell you that I've been talking about Tyler Shuck for four years, signing day. Um, I lauded him dramatically. He reminds me of Jared Goff. Not not as unique of arm talent, but I always look at quarterbacks and try to find a unique trait. His unique trait is competitive temperament. I mean, that dude, um, you know, you guys know his story, what he's been through, um, how he's processed, even how he walked in there. He walked in there, you know, trying to compete for the starting job, even though Justin Herbert was there. He didn't back down. He didn't flinch. And that was not easy for him to go through that. And he hasn't flinched as of late. And I think he has that team from everything that I'm told, you know, he's got, he's got a grip on it. You know, he knows how to lead. It's very innate to him. He's not a poser by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I think he's got a chance because Oregon's going to be really good to be, you know, a star in this conference just based on the position and and the brand of Oregon. So I, 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 I love that he sat, he prepared, he trained, 
And now how does he play versus I got there and I kind of learned on the job. We see that with Jaden Daniels and Keenan Slovis, the two faces of the conference right now. But Tyler Shuck, Davis Mills, two quarterbacks in the north who kind of waited their turn. I think uh, they got an opportunity to do some good things. So who will let you go on this one? Who is going to be the biggest threat to Oregon in the Pac-12? Is, is and I'm going to follow it up by saying, is USC finally going to maximize its talent that it recruits year in and year out? And well, I shouldn't say finally. They did win the conference a few years ago. But are they going to be able to rise up and take out Oregon? That's a good question. I'm just kind of looking at the schedule. To my right, I got all the top players at every position per team in the schedules of the last two years. And, you know, SC to me, there's a different mentality there in, in a good way, in a healthy way. And it started with Graham Harrell last year. You know, he came in and, and he had to remind the guys like, hey, you know what the country thinks about you? Like you're USC. So the big theme for them was to play with excitement. And you saw it, right? You saw it in spurts last year. And, and that team needed that, right? They really needed that. And now you, you add in, again, another defensive coordinator, another coordinator in this conference, you know, totally a new staff on that side of the ball. And everybody I've talked to has talked about how connected this team is. They're killing and recruiting. We know that. It matters what you do on the field, but they're close. And I look at them at units. And I think over the last couple of years, USC has been misrepresented in terms of they got every, they got all the players. If I coach them, we'd go win games, right? Like a lot of, you hear those narratives. But if you look at the reality of them the last couple of years, they never had the best D-line. They never had the best O-line. They never had the best running back group. They had a young quarterback the last two years. They never had the best secondary. They never had the best linebacking core, right? Like, so what are you talking about when it's best players in every position? They recruited well. Guys were rated highly. But to me, at least from my eye, they never really transitioned. Now, um, I look at them more seasoned and say, they got the best defensive line, I think, in this conference coming back. Jay Tefele, Marlon Tupelotu, Drake Jackson, right? Like they played a lot of ball. You look at linebacker core, uh, EA, Pelle EA Nauteate. He is a beast. When healthy, he's the best linebacker, you could argue, in the conference, right? Down the middle of that defense. Uh, you look at um, Talano Hofango, you guys know from your backyard, right? They're, they've, they're built down the middle, just like Oregon was last year. And you can argue to a degree that they haven't been proven, but they're still strong there. At least we'd anticipate them being strong there with the defensive line and some of the guys they return. So, and then on offense, they're going to move the ball. I mean, their receiving core is silly. So they're going to be, they're going to be a major threat. The challenge is where the game is and how the schedule lines up. Uh, and then in the North, I just think it's, it's so competitive. You know, Cal is going to be different. It's a different offensive scheme. They're going to be under center. They're going to run the ball. They're going to, they're going to make you, you know, have to play really perfect on defense because schematically they'll be able to exploit you here and there. So I, I like them as a sleeper. Washington and Jimmy Lake, other than having an unproven quarterback, um, by the end of the year, there'll be a team you wouldn't want to face. Uh, and, and you can kind of go up and down the list, but everybody has something unique. There is no layup. It is not like some of the other Power Five conferences when you look at the North specifically in, this, in, in the Pac-12. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, w- one of my favorite things um, when things are normal and we're able to travel around is, you know, I'll usually run into you at like Pac-12 media days or something. And, uh, I, you know, those things start at 730 in the morning. And I, I swear, swear you always have the biggest smile on your face out of everybody those mornings. You know, it's just life's a gift, man. And um, so good luck with your move. Good luck with your family. And uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you around uh, here this fall. 
Yeah, totally. And hey, while we're in uh, the midst of mental health month, let's make sure we, uh, we're checking in on each other, man. I think that's such a big deal now uh, for all of us. So thanks for having me on and I hope you're doing well. Hey, once again, just want to thank uh, Yogi Roth. Uh, that's at Yogi Roth. He does so much great stuff for the Pac-12 with Elite 11, with the Pac-12 Network. Uh, check out his documentary, Life in a Walk. Um, just a uh, a real nice guy to have on. It was, uh, you know, I think uh, <laughs> he was probably the perfect person to do those interviews uh, last week because uh, I, I don't think I've ever met Yogi not in a great mood. So um, it was nice to nice to see his face, even though it was pixelated here on Zoom. So we're going to transition out of that, Aaron, <laughs> to I know you got I know you got to get out of here in about five minutes. So I'm going to I'm going to leave the mic on. Um, I'm going to let you just let you just go thoughts on the finale of the last dance i'm i'm going to kick my feet up here and and just enjoy <laughs> you know it's interesting because i like i remember all that stuff so it wasn't that revealing i, I will say this I, I loved it obviously it was great theater and everything and reliving all that stuff i didn't like the timeline switching back and forth i think they had a method to it but i think it confused a lot of people who didn't know what was going on especially my family they were like what the hell how do we go from 98 to 93 or 98 to 85 um and i didn't uh I, I thought they oversold the amount of all this footage we got behind yeah, the scenes yeah, in 9798. Yeah. Like, they didn't have one moment where Jordan came into the locker room at halftime just going off, you know, or something like that. I mean, a two-game season, that never happened. Like, it's just the stuff they showed from behind the scenes, although some of it was kind of interesting, like him playing the 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 game, the throwing the, the coins against the wall with the security right. guys. Uh, the stuff about the security guard, the former cop, who got cancer and passed away, but that, I had never known about that relationship. I thought, I thought that was fascinating, but like, I felt like they totally oversold that. Like, we're, like seeing the guys sitting on the bus playing cards. Okay, been there, done that. Seeing guys walking into practice or walking their their ankles taped. You know, Michael Jordan in his suit up on the trainer's table. It's like, okay, give me something. Give me some meat. They cut all the I, meat I out, man. You know, there's I, great I, stuff, huh? I, I didn't even think like the much hyped like, oh, you're gonna think Jordan's a jerk after watching this practice footage, like. I didn't. I didn't think any of it was that bad. I, I, I think, think a person who's I mean, never played sports before is going to think he's a jerk. I think people like you and me who've played sports before, we know that you have guys like that. And yeah, they're kind of jerkish, but like I was you're expecting still it to friends. be worse, man. Like it was, huh? I was expecting what? it to be worse. Like I, I know right. Jordan. Well, had I, that. I think it probably was. I think they cut out the worst stuff. Yeah. Like I mean, they didn't have the cur fight, but um, allegedly, allegedly didn't have that. Uh, but no, I mean, I don't know. It. Everyone's gonna pick out of it what they want to pick out of it. I got into a debate the other day about was it a puff piece? Like obviously Jordan had control over it, but I felt like they tackled every major controversy that ever he was involved in his entire life. Right. Now, so I don't think it qualifies as a puff piece. I think it definitely was controlled by Jordan. Right. But I think he did address a lot of things that came up during his life. Like to me, a puff piece, you're not even talking about Atlantic his City. You're not stuff. even talking about like, yeah. a million dollar golf debt. You're not even talking about, you're not even letting Gary Payton come on there and say he locked you down. You're not putting him on there. Oh, like, forget Payton. that fool. <laughs> right? So <laughs> I thought it was great. I think they oversold one aspect, but it was fun watching that stuff again, reliving those years because the Bulls haven't been that good since. <laughs> I I would I would have liked, and this is just from you know like the storytelling standpoint. I would have liked to know a little bit more about his family, but also like, um, dude, um, his wife was non-existent. Yeah, yeah, his wife's non-existent. She uh, wasn't I saw even someone, in the background. I, I saw someone bring this up on Twitter too, and it, it might have been uh, Wright Thompson just wrote a story on ESPN.com that I haven't read yet but i saw some people talking about it uh, like 
I just want to know, like, were his parents athletes? Like, like, where, like, obviously Jordan was incredibly skilled with a mental game, but like, dude had some God blessed hops. Like, like, where did that come from? Like, t- <laughs> like, tell me about his like family lineage, you know, a little bit. And like, I understand that's complicated and he probably doesn't want to talk a whole lot about his ex-wife, but um, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like this, like you, you had everybody except for like the people who actually kind of like really know him. <laughs> yeah. And he, even like, it's like people were saying, well, you know, they were divorced, he's remarried, maybe she wanted nothing to do with it. I'm not saying she even had that talk for it. I'm just saying when they showed clips, she was nowhere, like, if in all seriousness, if I didn't know who Michael Jordan was and I just watched this show, I'd probably be like, so is he gay? Yeah. Because I don't see him with any, like, I never saw him with a woman. Like, it's just bizarre to me that they just, and you know she's in a lot of footage. They erased him. Or erased her, sorry. So I just thought that was kind of bizarre for me. But other than that, it was awesome. And I'll watch it again. My I, kids loved it. I th- my wife loved it. I thought, I mean, all those criticisms bearing, I thought Jordan in it was actually fantastic. Like every interview with him was like riveting, which is, is something that, like, I, I grew up in an era where Jordan was a superhero because I was like, you know, when I, when he retired, I think I was about 10. So you didn't really know any, like the personality really other mm-hmm. than like he was in Space Jam or you saw this or that. Um, <laughs> or, you know, he throttled my Sonics in 96. Um but I can like, see a little Tyson watching Space but, Jam. But I, I, they, they gave enough glimpses of like, oh man, like I think I got a feeling for like, like Jordan's actual personality, and that's not even from people like telling stories about him, but just like some of his glances, like not all, like he didn't right. give all PC type answers either. I mean, like he no. was pretty honest. I, I enjoyed it, man. It was, it was good stuff. I, you know, I believe that if if you if you had an independent company do it. Uh, and Jordan agree, agreed to do it. I do not believe there would be much more they would get out of it than what was in that. So you know, for something that's controlled by the subject, I thought it went pretty deep. And he let a lot of people say a lot of things about him that right. most people would not allow happen. So I thought it was pretty good. Okay, so that's the end of us talking about a topic about something we don't cover uh, this week. <laughs> this week on the athletic, so we think. Yeah, uh, this week on the athletic, I have a story coming out uh, where I've talked to a bunch of uh, players' parents, uh, including uh, uh, Big Boy from Outcast, about what it's just like having all their kids stuck at home for two months. Um, mm, you know that's that. Good idea. You know, if you if you talk to the Sewells who have currently three college football players in their house, that's a pretty expensive food bill. So. So that will be coming. I know. I bet they're like, uh, can we get some of that scholarship money sent to us? Yeah. So that, <laughs> we, that we thought we were done feeding these fools. <laughs> that should be out on Thursday. Um, you have anything you want to plug this week? Yeah. So I did a Cameron McCormick thing last week, by the way. That was a great story. I'm blaming man. You, you did a great job on that one. I appreciate that. But you know, I decided on blaming you because I went back and read your story from last spring about okay. how he was back. And then like two weeks later, he was hurt. So I think you jinxed him. Yeah, but I wrote a story on that uh, three-star Jackson Light on Sunday, and then the day after he was bumped up to a four-star. So we're even Steven on, uh, you know, I, I, I get you clout, but I also get you season-ending injuries. So uh, um, uh, No, that, was, that kid's been through a lot. Glad he's back. Hopefully he'll get to play this fall. Um, two things I'm working on. I'm doing something on, now is it Devon or Devin Williams? I, I struggle with that name. Do you know which one it is? Because it was Devin Allen. Is it Devin Williams or Devon Williams? One of us needs to figure that out. So, before so, the fall. so, so this is like, I, I feel like if you're going to name your kid Devon, like put a, put a, like an accent over the O or something. Like help us out here. <laughs> like, As if I would know what an accent is. <laughs> anyway, um, in French, I was like, wait a minute, what are these, like, these squiggly things up here? Devon. Uh, but so I'm doing something like I've talked to a few people about how he just ripped it up 
in scout team last year. Sweet. One story I was told was that he just destroyed on one play and they ran it back. And this is against the first team defense. They go, go run it, run it again. So the team, the defense can learn how to defend the play. And they ran the exact same play and he still made the play <laughs> because he's just <laughs> that good. Uh, so I'm doing something on him. And then another thing I'm doing is like, everyone's been talking about the DBs for Oregon, right? How great they are, et cetera. I'm going back to what I consider the arguably the greatest DB crew ever. That was the D boys from uh, 07, 08. You had Chung, Thurman, Ward, and uh, Bird, all four with draft picks, three second rounders and a fourth rounder who would have been a second round pick had he not blown out his knee. And uh, just sort of go back and look at that crew, how good they were, how they came up. They were all under-recruited. And it's just a little comparison, you know, okay, this crew's great now, but how do they stack up to the D-boys? I, uh, that I'm working on. I wrote that story in November. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'm, joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> you scared the crap out of me for a second. Uh, well, hey, everyone, we, we really appreciate you listening. And, uh, you know, one, one thing that I, I really want to get across there, because there seems to be some kind of misguided, uh, like the fact that like we're cautious and want, you know, reporting like on like the health concerns. That, like we want football to come back. I think that's one of the craziest things I've seen out there is like how journalists are being accused of like not wanting football. Like we're, we're sports reporters. It's a lot easier doing our job when sports are around. Um but uh, yeah, we're slightly to keep your job on sports. Right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. So the, politis- the politicizing of this of this uh, virus has just been astounding to me. Like it's it's the mere fact that we can't agree on science. <laughs> I mean, like we can't agree on things people have been studying for decades upon decades. Like over like what, what the great nineteen eighteen not great, but the nineteen eighteen pandemic that killed millions of people. Like this stuff has been studied forever and we still can't agree upon it because of political reasons. It's just it's mesmerizing to me. But the last thing right, the last thing you and I want is sports not to happen. Well we I mean careful. you know you can get sent people can get sent their ways. I've tried arguing with you on some things before and it a lot of therapy's gotten me out of that. So uh. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we appreciate everyone listening. Thanks again to Yogi Roth. Go check his stuff out. And uh, um, if, if you enjoyed this, please uh, help us out and like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening. And uh, um, yeah, we'll be back with uh, another episode hopefully soon. So thanks, everyone.